this coming Saturday, the 24th of October, there will be a live Bugle show as part of the Unmute Podcast Festival. Go to unmutepodcastfestival.com. Uh, we'll have Nish and Alice as the uh, guests. Uh, it'll go out as a live stream and also as the next full episode of the Bugle. <laughs> Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and welcome to issue 4170 of the world's leading and only audio newspaper for a visual world, albeit a visual world whose current defining characteristic is an invisible thing that is playing absolute fucking havoc with everything that is visual. I'm Andy Zaltzman. If you don't believe me, please be a little more trusting, uh, even if I do acknowledge that we now live in an earthly universe where the first assumption is that whatever anyone is telling you is a lie. Uh, that is a fact. I'm in London on uh, Monday the 19th of October 2020, and uh, The Bugle, uh, in the last week, has become the first podcast ever to make it to its teenage years, apart from numerous other ones that got there first. But The Bugle is now a teenager. We had our 13th birthday uh, in, the last, uh, in the last week, October 2007, is when this show uh, kicked off. Um, and I admit it, we've only really made it to teenagehood if you ignore the year or so in 2015-16 where we didn't really put anything out and the world, unsurprisingly, uh, went uh, a bit wonky in the meantime. But it was the Bugle's 13th birthday, which means that this week it would be the Bugle's bar mitzvah. Uh, but uh, Jewishness, of course, comes through the maternal side and the mother of the Bugle was fate who is very much an atheist. Uh, but The Bugle is, is now a teenager, so expect some very stroppy, uncommunicative and hormonally confused episodes over the next few years before in 2029. The Bugle settles down and gets a proper job as a podcast about management consultancy. Uh, joining me, appropriately enough, two people who were themselves once teenagers. <laughs> from the Northern Hemisphere, uh, Tiffany Stevenson, and from the other one, uh, what's it again? Uh, southern, Southern, uh, and specifically from better, New Zealand. The better hemisphere. <laughs> well, currently, that's only on the current rankings. Let, I mean, let's take let's take the all-time rankings, James. Uh, James Nakisa. Hello, James. How are you? Uh, good. Uh, hello. As we say in New Zealand, let's go outside and hug each other. <laughs> oh, <laughs> straight in with it. Brutal. Straight in with it. Oh, what's hug? I can't. I can't remember what hug is. <laughs> 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 so how is um, how is um, or the, the old normal as I believe it's called in New Zealand it's, it's quite funny because New Zealand is often referred to as England but 20 years in the past um, <laughs> no it's just what, what eight months in the past now about eight months a bit longer yeah. Yeah. borders are shut um, unless you're a rugby player then, <laughs> then you're as right. always the rules you're... do not apply you're allowed in to get beaten, basically. <laughs> um, uh, Tiff, uh, we're still stuck here in uh, uh, Covidious Albion, um, but, uh, <laughs> but but you have you have been you have been overseas. I went to Turkey, yeah. And then while I was away, they were like <laughs> the travel corridor shut, so I'm now isolating in my house. Which I, I do you know what I've done? I've bought a sad lamp. Which oh, right. is ironically not sad, but tragic, I think. Uh, what, what, is a, what, what is a sad... Is a sad lamp not just a lamp that's been switched off? 
a sad lamp is a uh, is for seasonally affected disorder. Do oh, I have seasonally affected disorder? Am I just annoying all year round? It's difficult <laughs> to tell. Um, under the rules, you're like kind of not supposed to go anywhere. I think I'm allowed in my back garden. I don't know. I guess the rules depend on, uh, you know, whether you're me or whether you're Boris Johnson's dad or Tony Blair. You know, it's all, it's, yeah, it's, it's all, all up for grabs. Well, I think when you say it depends on whether you're... I think it just depends on whether you give a shit about the rules or not, essentially. <laughs> so, that's like, like any law, really. We're going to start with the, the section in the bin uh, this week because uh, we've got a special teenagers section in the bin because uh, the Bugle uh, has entered the world of uh, teenagery. Uh, so we look at some uh, famous teenagers from history. Uh, Boris Becker... 17 when he won Wimbledon, 18 when he retained it, uh, but even he was uh, never on quite as hot a hot streak as one, of his, as one of his teenage predecessors, Joan of Arc, the literal hottie from history, who was only 19 when she suffered a career-ending conviction for heresy and related toasting injury. The uh, First World War catalyzing Archduke sceptic Gavrilo Princip was only 19 when he de-Archduked Franz Ferdinand in 1914. <laughs> And uh, Queen Victoria, well, she was queening it up as an 18-year-old in the pre-Instagram era, uh, whilst uh, Wolfgang Mozart, little uh, Timmy Tinkle Tunes himself, was churning out the classics <laughs> throughout his teenage years. Uh, some of his teenage works include uh, operas such as Darren Loves Linda, uh, no, one <laughs> no One Understands Me, and Concerto for Orchestra and Hormonal Teenage Boy. Uh, and we uh, reminisce on what we personally were like as teenagers and how different we are now. I'll, I'll, I'll kick I'll kick this one off. Uh, as a teenager, I was obsessed with cricket. I didn't have a real job. I was baffled by the world in general, and I hadn't been to a synagogue since my bar mitzvah. So, no real change for me. Well, what about uh, what about you? Um, I, I the thing that I would like to say to my thirteen-year-old self is, they won't look bigger if you wear three bras on top of each other. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's I was still waiting for that to happen at 13 and then when it did happen I was like can I just go back to that not happening <laughs> James what, t t t tell us about the, 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 the teenage James Nakiso I think I was thinking about doing like comedy but living with my parents um, and, and just not really sure what I'd do for a career um, so this has really been a full circle pandemic for me <laughs> so uh, Chris, uh, Chris, I imagine you were just, you know, producing podcasts and radio shows, you know, <laughs> left, right, and centre as a teenager, right? Yeah, uh, but I think I, the, probably the only, the only fundamental difference between now and then was the fact that um, I spent most of my time, age thirteen, playing Super Nintendo. Whereas actually yesterday I spent the entire day actually also playing Super Nintendo. So, you know. It holds us. It holds so, yeah. up. We've basically all come, all come back. Always go back to how you began. Um, we are recording on the 19th of October 2020. On this day in 1789, John Jay was sworn in as the first Chief Justice of the United States. And if you're listening, uh, Mr Jay, for f**k's sake, come back. If you're so bloody good at justice, sentence yourself back to life to sort your shit out. Um, on this day in 1579, James VI of Scotland uh, was um, had a special festival 
to celebrate him becoming a 13-year-old, in fact, and becoming an adult ruler. Uh, so, yeah, he, he turned 13. They had a special festival in Edinburgh. Uh, and uh, that was so way back in 1579. It involved a speech in Latin by John Sharp, a prominent local lawyer, um, who only got two stars in The Scotsman, although uh, Sharp insisted it read like a three-star review. Um, <laughs> the review claimed his speech was a bit tricky to follow if you didn't speak Latin and lacked any originality. But by contrast, Broadway Baby gave it five stars and described it as <laughs> dazzlingly inventive, daringly challenging and grammatically perfect for the many Latin-speaking fans in the audience. Uh, plus a change. Um, there was also at James the Sixth is thirteen-year-old coming-of-age festival, a tableau vivant, or in modern parlance, a pretentious piece of performance art bullshit. Uh, there was a sketch show involving four boys dressed as girls, representing peace, justice, plenty, and policy, which won the Bubonics Plague Remedies Award for show of the fr of the fringe that year. Um, some saw it as clunkingly unsubtle, the Observer. Others praised its daring use of perceptions of gender and satirical exploration of the interrelated roles of the concepts of peace, justice, plenty, and policy uh, together with a very amusing song in which you kept expecting the lines to be to end with rude words but then they didn't that was from the list uh, the king's horoscope <laughs> was presented by an actor playing an the ancient astrology said ptolemy bit mainstream and there was a show representing the abolition of the pope's authority in scotland easy targets like all those trump shows in 2017 all over again <laughs> uh, some students did an over ambitious adaptation of a russian short story to an average audience of two obviously puppetry of the penis did well and i think i'm right in saying that uh, uh, Edinburgh legend genius Simon Munnery made his Edinburgh debut that year. <laughs> the old puppetry of the penis tour manager is literally next door right now. <laughs> Weeping, having never really got over the memories of it. Let's think um, about puppetry of the penis. They're always about. Always about. <laughs> <laughs> is it like... Oh, what, what was the film? Was it like, is it in the Da Vinci Code or one of those where they show the devil always popping up throughout various points of history? <laughs> and just there's in the background someone doing a helicopter with their dick. Yeah. Um, just... There's always two in a photo. One's got a giant moustache, the other's got a bucket hat. <laughs> well, it's basically, Michelangelo pretty much painted them onto the roof of the ceiling. <laughs> Look, they're Australian icons and we do them as a service. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're great lads, but it, it is funny to think that they were there during all the key historical events. <laughs> Top story this week. Uh, New Zealand has had a general election and um, the world has actually taken notice of it uh, for probably the first time in New Zealand's history, uh, James. Jacinda Ardern, the uh, uh, Prime Minister, romped a victory with 49% of the vote for her Labour Party, up from 37% three years ago when she came to power as leader of a minority coalition, the National Party, who were in power for most of the previous decade, down from 44% to 27%, and uh, Nationalist New Zealand First, led by Deputy Peer, uh, Prime Minister Winston Peters, down from 7.2% to 2.6%, and disappointing zero seats. Um, I mean, New Zealand, James very much bucking the trend of global politics by not voting in favour of nationalists, lunatics and <laughs> So what, <laughs> what has gone wrong? <laughs> well, um, I think part of it was it was the night before an All Blacks match. So <laughs> everyone wanted to get it done pretty... Uh, and this is absolutely true, Andy. The concession came at 10pm at night. 
so it was all done and dusted uh, because obviously the All Blacks was on the next day. Everyone had to go to bed. Um, some of the MPs actually went out and partied afterwards because the clubs were still open. Uh, so uh, one of them, um, Chloe Swarbrick, uh, who was a, the first Green MP to actually win a seat, won a very important seat of Auckland Central, uh, and is uh, in her uh, mid-twenties uh, or early-twenties. I apologize to her if I've insulted that. She went out and DJed following in the footsteps uh, of another young Auckland Central um, List MP, Jacinda Ardern, who used to <laughs> DJ in her youth, uh, which is uh, because in New Zealand, all politicians uh, are also DJs. <laughs> but it's, it's been a very, very calm uh, election over here. Uh, there's, we had some crazy parties. Uh, and we all found them very entertaining. Uh, and then in classic New Zealand state, we got to the polls and went, yeah, nah. Uh, and, and, we, and we didn't let them in. Uh, so we've just mainly got the Green Party and the Labour Party looking at maybe will they, won't they form a government. The National Party has completely uh, been eviscerated. Part of it was because their leader, uh, Judith Collins, for our internationalists, um, her hero was Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Uh, and she she did her best to emulate that uh, that, that woman by dying um, so badly uh, <laughs> in both the debates and the polls. Um, her husband is Samoan, um, which she told us as much as she told everyone about her Samoan links so much that Samoans were confused <laughs> by how much she was playing the race card. Um, <laughs> And so she's just, uh, she's, she's taken the National Party to a, a horrific defeat. Uh, Winston Peters, um, who won't be well known to internationalists, but is essentially Maori Trump um, and has been doing populism since 1996. Uh, he's finally out, or is he? Because he's been out before and then he comes back. He's sort of New Zealand politics version of herpes. So <laughs> he, you think he's gone and then he comes back another election. He is 75 now, so we think he'll die. But as anyone who's watched New Zealand cinema knows, old men don't die, they just get reborn whiter. So, <laughs> Didn't they shut down their Twitter at one point, the Conservative Party? In the midst the, of it. <laughs> the Advanced like, New Zealand Party was putting out so much disinformation that Facebook just shut them down. Uh, and sh so they say so because they were having rallies uh, in the middle of Auckland's lockdown and saying the virus isn't real. Uh, you know, you, this, uh, this is all a big conspiracy. 5G is the cause. Like this was a. And, and they're still, some of them are still espousing it. Billy T.K. Jr., who's the big leader, just went on a rant on Sunday night saying the election was rigged because his party of lunatics only got 0.9% <laughs> of the vote. And the Electoral Commission just came out and went, nah, it's not. Because in New Zealand, that's how it works. <laughs> yeah, they got, got um, 20,000 votes advance uh, New Zealand. And there was a, a, a very entertaining televised demolition of its co-leader, Jamie Lee Ross, by the New anchor Tova O'Brien that appears to have gone globally viral where <laughs> she pretty much told him to shut up stop lying and then piss off essentially <laughs> well she's to summarize she's the, the Arya Stark of New Zealand journalism is <laughs> uh, Brian. I think that's where Jamie Lee Ross made a mistake because he went, oh, I'm going to take on this little girl and I'll show her what's what and she just stabbed the shit out of him uh, metaphorically of course uh, it was an evisceration uh, which was so violent, Quentin Tarantino is actually basing his next film <laughs> on the interview. Uh, and Hugh Jackman has asked that she play Wolverine in whatever movie comes out next. 
But I think what, what made it so perfect is that for most of the pandemic, Tove O'Brien has been cast as a villain uh, in New Zealand because she kept asking questions uh, of, of Jacinda Ardern. <laughs> that's not what and journalists so are supposed to do, James, in this is, day yes, I, I, I mean, that's what I'm told. That's, that's the information we've been getting to, uh, Andy. And, and so there's sort of this visceral reaction from New Zealanders where, like, the villain of the season has, in, in a last minute, uh, turned her powers for good. Uh, and, and really, it's it, it was so bad. I, I I generally feel we need to check on this man's mental health. <laughs> um, I was fascinated by this, this 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 as you mentioned that there there might be a coalition anyway. So the Labour Party has uh, has won with a with a uh, an electoral majority, which is pretty rare in New Zealand politics. Correct, um, but uh, Jacinda Ardern may seek to form a coalition. Anyway, and from an outside perspective, I mean, could could she be any more annoying? I mean, what is the point of politics if you don't use your victory to ignore everyone who didn't vote for you and sow the seeds of division that you can then exploit at the next? Why even bother trying to win if you simply cave <laughs> in anyway to the rabid demands of the extreme consensus lobby? Well, I, I think this is where um, her fiance uh, Clark Gayford uh, comes into play, or as he was uh, called by one journalist. Uh, Hillary Barry, uh, sometimes uh, a man is behind a woman and he's okay. Um, <laughs> oh, there's that on the TV coverage of the, the six hour. Yeah, yeah, that was on the primetime TV coverage uh, where Look, I'm pretty sure our anchors were stoned, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was because it said on the prompter, it said uh, behind every good woman, I think it was supposed to say behind every good woman was an equally good man. And they were just like, no, we're not, we're not going to say that. <laughs> So I was just filling it in. Behind every good woman is a man not observing social distance. Um, behind every good woman is a man leaving a mess. Behind every good woman is a man statistically most likely to kill her. You know, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah. I, so, see, so in the midst of that... Well, I think, I think it's, uh, in, in Clark's case, it's behind every good woman is a man who's just gone fishing and is cooking up a barbecue. <laughs> so the reason to have more MPs in the government is so there's more people for the food to be passed around. Right. Uh, because it might go to the Green Party. Um, uh, the, there's a Māori Party back in as, as well with um, Rauduri uh, Waititi. I'd, I'd tell you that he's not related to Taika, but it's New Zealand. So I just don't know. Uh, <laughs> But it's the the uh, the exciting thing is is that uh, we're still waiting on the results of our referendum, which we also had um, to see if we've going to legalize weed uh, and euthanasia. And that result is coming out on October thirtieth. So Halloween is going to be lit in this country. <laughs> <laughs> so so the referendum on on euthanasia. There were two slightly different referendums. There was a binding referendum on euthanasia, which means that if it goes through. Everyone will be legally obliged to euthanise themselves on the 30th of October. I think that's right, Absolutely. isn't it? Uh, and the cannabis referendum was a non-binding advisory referendum, which is, uh, I think, what Brexit was as well. So just be careful. But be very careful of that, New Zealand. <laughs> very careful. Well, I mean, the nice thing is the way that cannabis uh, often works is that um, if they do change their minds on the result, uh, most people who care won't remember. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll just want snacks. We'll be chill. <laughs> we, there were so many election snacks. I think when people look back on the 2020 New Zealand election, they'll refer to it. People are talking about it as like the red wave or the red tide, which just seems a strange label to chuck on an election. <laughs> 
I think they should call it the snack election because the, the prime minister's <laughs> partner was cooking snacks for the journalists. The journalists were eating gummy bears and jet planes in the studio. I don't know if that happens in, in Britain when there's an election <laughs> on. Like you could tell that weed was definitely in the referendum. People were dancing about. But there was an election when David Dimbleby sort of anchored the election coverage for BBC for decades had a bite of a Mars bar, and it pretty much brought the nation to a standstill. So, um, <laughs> it's like when David Gower wore red socks when he was England cricket captain. Um, so, so New Zealand, you know, clearly going it alone by choosing not to elect a pompous, corrupt, re regressive, morally vile man um, prepared to blow any manner of social dog whistles to get into power, which does raise the question, what makes you so f***ing special, James? Uh, and I guess the thing is, you know, New Zealand's a small country, there's only 4.9 million people, at any one time 30% of those people are scrabbling around in the mud trying to get hold of a rugby ball off each other. You know, there are no, in <laughs> there are no indigenous mammals, and I'm not counting bats because bats are birds, because uh, they can fly, that's <laughs> biology for you. Um, you know, you're, I like they're drunk. With all due respect, James, New Zealand is the kind of nation that can afford to have someone sensible in charge. But, you know, we in, in, in Britain and our friends in other countries of bigger bigness than New Zealand, we don't have that luxury. We need an incompetent cunt in charge. Otherwise, who knows what will happen? <laughs> well, in New Zealand, we call that uh, the Australian manoeuvre. Uh, <laughs> And the Australian papers have been panicking about this. I think Rupert Murdoch may have lost his mind because all the papers over the past 24 hours that Murdoch owns have been going, this is a disaster. The incompetent New Zealand leader has been re-elected. Uh, it's a cult of personality around Jacinda Ardern. There's no reason she should be elected. And at no point do they seem to mention, oh yeah, and the pandemic thing. Uh, as well. <laughs> it feels like everyone in the world is really happy about the New Zealand election because they still get to play with Jacinda Ardern. <laughs> we we kind of feel like we didn't, like we let everyone's favorite kids still be able to come out and play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, but, but you, her supporters are cool. Like, cool people came out for, for her. Over the weekend, Kirstie Alley came out for Trump. Um, <laughs> like it comparatively was it uh, D so so Dean Kane, Scott Bio, Antonio Sabato Jr. Three of the dudes that I had teenage wide ons for are like are now Trumpers, um, and so I, I didn't get more right wing as I got older. I did get narrower though. Um, that's the opposite oh, of having a wide on. It's just, it's just getting narrower. <laughs> like the, the the people that are coming and listen of course Kirsty Alley's allowed her opinion she was saying she was voting for him because he wasn't a politician and he got stuff done I mean he's definitely got stuff done none of it good um, <laughs> she believes Trump's good for the country but she also believes that dudes from space with plats and man buns called thetans live amongst us so <laughs> cult recognises cult I think is what I'm saying cult recognises Cool. I thought about joining Scientology last time I was in LA just for the parking. <laughs> they've, they've got a lot of that locked down. So just comparatively, like the people that support your prime minister versus the people going all in for Donald Trump. I don't know if we have Scientologists in New Zealand. I think we must have. Like the, they're out there. But they've just, they'll never beat the cult of rugby. Like, oh, <laughs> 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 Uh, I think, Tiff, one of the fundamental differences is that uh, between Britain and you know America and New Zealand is that America's quite a young nation and essentially it's going through a very tricky adolescence, as discussed. New Zealand, even younger, still in the childlike 
idealism phase. Uh, we in Britain, we've been through that shit, and we know that politics is just about killing time until you die, trying to desperately justify your past behaviour to yourself as you realise that there is essentially no future. So, you know, we're all at different different phases of our of our evolution. Well, next generations uh, are showing that they uh, they don't necessarily fall in line with what their with what their parents believe as well. There's been a big breakaway in the states of like children of Trump supporters. Um, her, who are now sort of endorsing Biden. So there was Claudia Conway, uh, Kellyanne Conway's daughter, and she's on TikTok, which is great because you get a glimpse of what Kellyanne looked like before she was possessed by a three thousand year old demon who hates truth. Um, it's like it's like watching a pure soul. And then uh, Rudy Giuliani's daughter came out and endorsed Biden as well. Um, she said, "If being the daughter of a polarizing mayor who became the president's personal bulldog has taught me anything, it is that corruption starts with yes men and women, the cronies who create an echo chamber of lies and subservience to maintain their proximity to power." <laughs> Happy um, Christmas, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mean, I guess you know, kids turning against what their parents believe in is just a fundamental right of parental passage. You know, I fully expect my kids to turn around at some point in the next ten years and say, "Dad, there's more to life than watching other people play sport." Now, I mean, they'd be wrong, but I will accept that they're going through a, you know, a phase. But I guess it's a bit trickier if you are a public part of a political machine that is trying to hoodwink people into voting against their own best interests if your own personally artisanally hand indoctrinated kids aren't even buying it i guess it makes it harder to sell to a skeptical public isn't kellyanne conway's husband also against trump yes what is going on in that household at like dinner time do they just like like that i feel like that's taking it all right we're not talking politics at the table to a massive extreme <laughs> The Russian uh, Russian influencers uh, have been in the news um, with the uh, the trick bot, a, a Russian um, Trojan thingy that I do not fully understand, but sounds concerning if you're a free and independent democracy fan. Has been uh, was been interfered with by both Microsoft and U.S. Cyber Command independently of each other. The Washington Post suggested that the uh, the Russian trick bot was aiming to sow more confusion in the U.S. election. Now that. That is, I mean, you've got to admire the ambition to, to try and think you can add to the confusion of an American election. That's like trying to add more detail to the Sagrada Familia Cathedral in Barcelona, <laughs> more notes to a Bach piano recital, or ten free plankton to a Wales lunchtime happy meal. There is no need. It will make no difference. So, yeah, we'll have more on the uh, the American election over the next, uh, the next uh, few weeks. Um, not long to go now until... Uh, all your worst fears are confirmed, stroke a joyous <laughs> eruption of relief at the election of an old man. And that works for both sides. <laughs> uh, incidentally, for any Trump fans listening to The Bugle. Have you got any yet, Chris? Still can't quite crack that demographic, can we? No, but as, as pointed right. out, we do have five Muammar Gaddafis listening, so <laughs> there's every yeah. chance. Yes. <laughs> yeah, five Muammar Gaddafis on our list of uh, voluntary subscribers. To join them, go to buglepodcast.com and click the donate button to make a one-off or recurring contribution to keep this show free, independent and thriving. Now, obviously, with my pessimist's hat on, and um, as you know, someone who's not, not a fan of Trump, as I've probably laid my cards on the table over the last four or five years, and, and my pessimist hat is a reinforced industrial-level safety helmet with a gas mask attached. I'm, I'm just assuming that Trump will win, um, because the, the betting is still bafflingly close, um, and uh, I'm just a natural pessimist. And I'm sure that the year 2020 has got at least one last radioactive turd to power crack into this year's <laughs> global cake mix. Uh, 
I just, just oh, I, I, I can't. I, I think it's very dangerous to have any opt- optimism. About, what, what do you guys think? The glass is half empty, and it's the the bit that's left in there is poison. Is that what you're saying? Essentially, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's the that's the uh, yeah. But it's not half a glass of water. I think whatever happens, America has been pushed to this kind of brink of like. I don't know that they can come back from in a in in the way that we know America to be. Um, like, I saw Biden kind of going, "This isn't about red and blue states. This is about the soul of a nation." And I I sort of agreed with him on that. But no matter which way it goes down, unless it's like a huge, like overwhelming win for Biden, I think any other kind of scenario plays out in like people taking to the streets and it being, you know quite a chopsy time chopsy that's uh that's a good <laughs> that's term a, for it that's a, that's a lovely euphemism actually it sounds quite fun really like a water ride or something trump supporters if they go to the streets they're the ones with the guns i think that's the it's the unfair advantage here is that if trump wins and everyone goes to the street they're like ah oh, i've got a sign and it's whimsical and the trump guys are like no sign but heavily armed <laughs> <laughs> well i mean looking at the, some of the signs at the, uh, the, the 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 women's rallies against trump uh, one sign said vote for your daughter's future she was rather charmingly hoping that people vote with even half a thought for the future uh, in modern democracy <laughs> and make America think again. And I don't think that is a good idea. I don't think America will like where that process takes it. I think people are forgetting we used to tease America about being stupid before Trump came along. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, dear. Um, happy times. I, I think I think Biden might win. I'm trying to be cautiously optimistic. So I'm going to go the other way and say I think he might. I think he might take it. Well, all I would say to any buglers listening is vote hard and vote often. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm with Tiff. I, yeah. I reckon it's going to be it's going to be fine, Andy. But right. in saying that, there's a high chance that weed's going to be legal in my country by the time it comes <laughs> <So you're> around. <laughs> so I'm going to be eating a lot of snacks in the American election yeah. as well. Well, I guess in terms of people changing their mind, there's no real point stopping supporting Donald Trump now if you've supported him all this time. That'd be like breaking into the Natural History Museum at night and then uh, a security guard finding you preparing to have sex with a stegosaurus skeleton. You're not going to back out then, are you? You might as well just go through with it, otherwise it would look weak and weird, you know. So you're just (laughs) going to plough on and say, don't worry, Steggy and I are friends with benefits, it's no big deal. I mean, you can't... At this stage, you you can't back out of it. Yeah, I don't think anyone's mind is being changed, although that image is thoroughly f***ing disturbing. Andy, <laughs> thank you. Uh, <laughs> Smegasaurus. Oh, God. <laughs> Chris, Chris putting up naughty messages on the Zoom call. Oh, Sorry. Disgrace. Britain news now, and we're well, moving uh, across uh, the Atlantic uh, whilst uh, the country is collapsing in a swab of befuddlement and resentment about uh, COVID and the latest regulations. The Johnson-Junta government has casually dropped the totally predictable bombshell that is set to wander off from Brexit talks without a deal. Uh, it basically just you know, dropped into conversation that, oh, yeah, we might have no deal. Thus, either 
And you can choose one of these two options, either betraying all the people who voted for Brexit, having told there would definitely be a deal, or the people who believed Johnson when he said that a deal was oven-ready, all the people who didn't vote for Brexit, but are still, I believe, legally considered to be human under UK law, uh, and all the people who weren't able to vote due to being too young, not vote enough, or not born, and who might appreciate a productive relationship with a f***ing massive economic powerhouse right on our geographical doorstep, especially given, you know, all the other shit that's going on, or... He finally unleashes Britain from the shackles of Europe to which we've been enchained since, uh, since 43 AD. Um, your call, uh, people, two sides to every goldfish. Um, it's very hard to know exactly what's going on in these negotiations because obviously they're not televised, they're, they're secret. So it's really just through leak and counter-leak and rumour and counter-rumour. And it could just be Johnson posturing, really, Boris Johnson posturing. And uh, obviously Michael Gove has said the same thing. Whenever Gove says anything, you just assume something else is the truth so you know michael gove has just announced he's going to have a sandwich for lunch i assume that means all chickens are going to be fitted with jetpacks before slaughter um so it's hard to know what's um what's going on tiff with the the, the brexit negotiation we've largely forgotten about for most, i mean that's the one benefit of covid i guess is we've been able to ignore brexit and uh, uh for, for for several months don't worry andy resting incompetence faces on it um <laughs> He said we're uh, we're sort of heading towards a no deal again. And I mean, the thing that's happened uh, just in the last sort of 24 hours is uh, our credit rating has dropped as a country. Right. Uh, our credit rating has dropped. Like we ordered a shit ton of stuff from Littlewood's catalogue <laughs> and then defaulted on our payments. Two pairs of, of knee-high boots preventing your ability to lease a car five years later. What are you talking about? I don't know. <laughs> anyway... Um, <laughs> It's good to share, <laughs> the point good is, it it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't look great, does it? I think combined with the uh, the pandemic and the being talk of a recession and uh, and bottoming out, basically, um, uh, Boris has basically there's kind of like talk of a Canada style Brexit. Uh, an Australia Brexit. I, you know, at this point, like I remember when it first started, it was like we want a Norwegian Brexit. We want this, but you know, and now you're just flinging around names of countries. Everyone's sort of. I don't even want to say let it go because we've had bigger things to worry about in the face of the pandemic. But you know, at this point, like, is it still too late to back out? Like, H. is there? A is there a way back in? Oh, to back out of backing out? No, I, I think that is definitely. <laughs> Can Too someone late. leave a window open a crack? And... I'm, not, I'm not sure windows being left open is a good idea at this stage. Um, <laughs> uh, I mean, I just hope, because there's always, you know, there's talks are supposed to end soon. I just hope this isn't going to be one of those things where you want everything tied up neatly, but instead they leave it open for an unnecessary and inevitably disappointing sequel. So, um, <laughs> you know, we shall, we shall... I'm sure our innate British bulldog spirit will see us through. Uh, I guess the problem is that bulldogs... Not always great at complex trade negotiations, um, I've found. Um, okay, how about two doggy biscuits and a slice of ham in exchange for you stopping doing that to my leg? Um, <laughs> it doesn't always work. I reckon there's just crying. I think there's just. I think a lot of the negotiation is just Gove and Johnson. Just the door shuts and then they just start crying, and they're like, "Please, please, we've we've promised so much." You know, like in the spirit of, of the teens, you know, like when you're a teenager and you talk yep. some real big shit to your mates yep. and your parents are there and then you, your mates leave and you turn around to your parents and you're like, please, can please back up the temp <laughs> of what I've just said. <laughs> so they think I'm so cool right now, please. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're still trying to exit and then Tiff, all the Brits were going on holiday to Europe as well. Yes. Are, the, are, the, are a lot of those people still Brexit people as well? 
Oh no, I mean, listen, this when when it all first happened, when the referendum happened, we had people with like kind of no self-awareness whatsoever. Uh, there was a, a couple called Brendi, Brenda and Barry who flew back from the Costa del Sol to show their support for Farage and the Brexit party. And they said, we're just, we've come, because we want our country back, the one we don't f***ing live in anymore. <laughs> like, so I think a, a few of these people, like the, the chickens are coming home to roost, you know, like they're actually, um, you know, living in places like, France and Spain and, and stuff and realising that actually leaving the EU is a kind of two-way thing. <laughs> it's not just about getting Johnny Foreigner out of the UK. It means that you can't actually, you know, have the same uh, reciprocal agreement with those countries yourself. Yeah, but so, Tiff, the, the thing, the, what you're saying there is, though, is that we should have thought about the consequences before committing to a course <laughs> of action. And that is, you know, naive and, and old school with, with, with all due respect. Uh, Covid update and uh, whilst we've been recording, uh, Wales has announced that it's going into a quote firebreak lockdown from Friday uh, with basically um, everything shut and Offers Dyke reactivated fully. Mm. Um, I believe. We'll wait to see whether Scotland follows with uh, with Hadrian's uh, Hadrian's Wall. This uh, follows the um, introduction of a new three tier graded lockdown system for England. Uh, last week the uh the 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 tiers are uh medium large and hide in your anderson shelter until further instructions uh (laughs) i I believe um it's um it's a rather confusing mess tiff but i know you know someone who will surely be able to explain this rather confusing system for our listeners oh yeah i had uh i had a word with my scottish boyfriend and he agreed to explain a hang Lockdown tiers. As you're all aware, the government in Westminster has implemented a very simple and straightforward three-tier lockdown system to keep us safe during a second wave. For those of you too thick to understand, I'll simplify it for you. There are three tiers, medium, high and very high. Boris has gone for the man in Nando's approach here. No (laughs) such thing as low, f*** your mango and lime. In tier one, you can see six folk at a time. Well, six folk you want to see, because if you want to go to the pub, you'll see dozens of other folk you didn't ken who also be there with no more than six folk they can. Didn't worry, though, because as we all know, once <laughs> have had a couple of pints, they're in my considerate and likely to follow rules. <laughs> then, of course, at 10pm, the pub's shut and you can go and have a street party. Tier 2 is much the same, but you can't see people you like in your house. You can still see them in the pub, though. Tier 3, you can't see six folk in your house, garden or the pub. You have to go to the park or to a street party for Tier 1. <laughs> now, obviously, Scotland, Wales and Ireland have a slightly different system in place, but they're all equally simple to understand and they dovetail perfectly into each other. So there's no need to worry about no seeing your family. Great. It's, uh, that, that is all now crystal clear. Thanks, <laughs> as always. <laughs> the Queen um, was criticised uh, last week for uh, her first public appearance of the pandemic, not wearing a mask. Uh, and she didn't flip the bird either. Uh, and people said, yeah, the, 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 all the people she met had been tested, but it didn't necessarily set, you know, set a good visual example but i would i would say is the queen supposed to set an example is that really her job i mean if so 
if she's such an example, we'd all be wearing big flashy hats, letting our firstborn sons take over the family business without so much as an interview, um, trying desperately not to mention <laughs> our secondborn sons in public anymore, uh, never... <laughs> Never voting and expecting to be driven everywhere by someone else. So uh, I'm not, you know, do we, I mean, we, she has a role in this country, but is setting an example that role? Were you, were you upset that the Queen didn't wear a mask last week? Well, I just thought it was a missed fashion opportunity. Right. Uh, also, there's coding with how the Queen holds her handbag, you see. Uh, if she's holding yeah. it with two hands, it means get me the f*** away from these plebs, I think, according to the Secret <laughs> Service. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Just there's another opportunity to say something, isn't there, with a mask? So yeah, th- there's all these very, very like I, yeah. I feel like she could have. Uh, I feel like she could have sent a strong message, or maybe even just printed her face on a mask, but just like bigger, and that we would we would have a laugh at that. <laughs> or like not giant. dead yet, right? Not dead yet, Charles. You know yeah. that kind of thing. Tiff, who would have their face <laughs> printed on a mask? <laughs> oh yes oh there you go yeah yes you can uh, by joining the bugle premium voluntary subscription you can get a, a face mask with my face on it albeit uh, a logo diversion of my face go to the buglepodcast.com and click the donate button two plugs this week chris that's stupid more than i usually manage in a month <laughs> it's I brilliant i'm absolutely loving this Hey, don't say that in a sex shop in soho sorry <laughs> i'll delete that <laughs> nope <laughs> well that brings us to the end of this week's uh this week's bugle um james thank you for bringing us up to date from uh, uh <laughs> rather rather chirpier side of the world at the moment um uh, have you got any other shows you'd like to tell our listeners about uh, look, it's, uh, my mental health podcast is always available for the rest of the world if they want to check it out. Um, but no, otherwise, uh, look, on a personal note, guys, I know it's really shit over there. Uh, and jokes aside, I, I hope all the listeners here uh, are going and supporting uh, you both uh, by getting your merchandise or uh, buying whatever they can from you. Uh, right. Well, since you mentioned yeah. merchandise, we do have we do actually have some merchandise at the moment. Thanks for teeing that up, James. Uh, again, go to the uh, buglepodcast.com and click the merch button for your uh, selection of uh, exciting uh, t-shirts. I hear this. I hear this t-shirts. I, oh, I, yeah. I hear this masks. But, Christmas um, jumpers. Yep. Yeah, Christmas jumpers are now fully available, Chris. They are. Yes, in yep. store now. In store now. Selling out. From- we, we bought more. We had to get more. Oh, awesome. Uh, Tiffany, shows you'd like to uh, plug? Oh, um, well, I've got some online ones coming up, but if you follow me on Twitter, at Tiff Stevenson, you'll get them there. Also, my special is, is still available to buy on Vimeo for a fiver, um, Madman. And actually, there's quite a lot of stuff in that um that when i sort of wrote it i think it was in 2015 2016 that has sort of become relevant again <laughs> so if you're interested uh go go watch that you can download it on vimeo yeah five english pounds i don't know what that would be in any other currency and buy her album uh bro buy as we buy say it, yeah. <laughs> Uh, thank you very much uh, for listening uh, Buglers, uh, we will now play you out with some more lies about our premium level voluntary subscribers Gareth Colwell wonders why so many British Prime Ministers have names that work as spoonerisms, in the last 50 years alone, notes Gareth we've had broaden gown, baloney tear and head teeth going further back, I would add Lona Bore to that list, but for the fact that his actual name, Bona Law needs no alteration Obviously.
Inspired by this, Rachel Stern wonders if the current Canadian Prime Minister will ever run a public information campaign urging his people to have faith in martial arts. Rachel says, I can see the trust in judo slogan working really well for him. Ray Wall thinks it must be massively tempting for archaeologists to claim they've found 30,000-year-old scratches on rocks in any cave somewhere. Her thinking is threefold. A. It makes archaeologists feel good about themselves. B. Seriously, who's actually going to check? And C. Prehistoric people are generally quite shit at art, so it's quite easy to fake. Renata Strausser takes a slightly different view of Paleolithic art and says maybe the reason we think that Paleolithic artists were all a bit rubbish, with all due respect, was that actually the bits that we found were from preschool and kindergarten classes. It all makes sense. Simple animals, handprints and basic stickmen. I can't believe no one's claimed this before, concludes Renata. Further support for Renata's theory is posited by none other than Sarah Beeb, who points out wisely that most of the prehistoric daubings we find are in caves. Think about it, says Sarah. If you were a hard-working stoneager and had to put your kids in nursery while you went out to work, you'd want them to be in a safe place that reduced the chances of your nippers being eaten by a dinosaur or whatever. So of course, you'd probably put them into a nursery in a cave complex, wouldn't you? It's obvious. Ben Friedman speculates further that the reason we don't have any of the higher quality and more commercial art from 10 to 40,000 years ago is that it was all bought up by private collectors. Ben suggests it's probably all hidden in vaults somewhere like so much of our more modern art is for no real reason. For his part, Tom Perry has had enough of people banging on about how rubbish prehistoric art is. Tom blasts, at least they didn't just put a pile of ammonites on the still-warm corpse of an elk that's been savaged by a saber-toothed tiger and call it the lonely ambition of the heartbroken soul or something. They did art that people could understand. Oh look, it looks like a bison. Well guess what? It is a bison. Thank you. Patrick Hogan thinks we've interpreted cave paintings wrong in any case. I think they were storyboards for action films, argues Patrick, mostly involving bison or other things with scary horns, understandably. Write what you know, as they say. Sadly, concludes Patrick, they lacked the equipment to actually make all the films they plotted out in their caves, but clearly there were some real blockbusters in the pipeline. That makes sense, says Harney Salem. We're actually more closely aligned to these people commercially and creatively than we think, notes Harney. Just look at how they found a winning formula and then just kept churning out sequels and minor variations of the same thing, just like we do. Peas in an evolution of civilizationary pod. Obviously, if you've had a hit with Bison, Horned Avenger, you're going to follow it up with Bison 2, Big Fur is back. Kyle Livingston claims, I studied this at university, without sounding entirely convincing. Kyle continues, and they didn't stop there. After the success of Big Fur is Back, obviously there came Bison 3, Step It Up, and that title works better written down, to be honest. And the controversial Bison 4, So Horny, and Bison 5, Still So Horny. Not to mention other franchises, continues Kyle, like Orocky, and one-offs like School of Auroch. Here endeth this week's lies. Bye-bye. Still listening? Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. 
God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. <laughs> 